Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 384. And today we have Brad and Dylan on the show. They are a father and son that went to Adak Island, Alaska for a great adventure. We first spoke to them several months ago in episode number 361 before their hunt. And now here we are talking after the hunt to hear how the adventure went the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the success, what they learned, and much more. This is, of course, part of our Before and After the Hunt series, which has been just a ton of fun, and I'm excited to share this episode with you guys today. Before we dive into the episode, just want to remind you guys, if you have any questions, topic suggestions, or guest suggestions for us, reach out. Send an email to podcast at exomontgear.com or look for the link in the show description that says leave us a message and you can ask us that question or give us that suggestion. We'd love to, in 2023, make the podcast be all about what you guys want to hear. So let us know. As always, if you enjoy the show, it does help tremendously if you just share it with a friend. We don't advertise, we don't do a ton of promotion, anything like that. So this show continuing uh, is really at your support, and we thank you guys for it. Right now, let's dive right into this conversation with Brad and Dylan. Well, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast, guys. I'm glad to hear you survived ADAC and are living to tell the story. Uh, Dylan, you joined us previously with the before story, and you were talking about this trip with you and your father, and he's on here today. So Dylan and, and Brad both, welcome, man. Glad you guys are here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. So just to like, recap, in case some folks are tuning in to this episode and didn't hear the prior episode about you guys planning this trip, where you were headed, what you were doing. Dylan, can you kind of give a, just like a quick recap, like two minutes on where you were headed, what you were hunting, when that was, uh, just to set some context. Yeah. So we kind of came up with the plan last sometime over the summer, early summer, I guess, um, found Adak Island, which is at the end of the Aleutian chain. Um, just by looking at where Alaska Airlines flies, turns out there's a bunch of caribou there and you can, there's, they fly 737s in and have housing that you can rent and trucks you can rent. So we started planning a trip up there um, and went up in early November. I think it was November 2nd we left um, with the plan to hunt a couple caribou. We had two caribou tags and then if that all worked out, we wanted to do a little bit of ptarmigan hunting and duck hunting and explore the island. Each time we're doing these episodes, you know, the, as part of this before and after series, I've been kind of asking guests like, hey, since we recorded that gap between our first conversation and the start of your hunt, like, did anything change? And for you, that was a, you know, a good chunk of time. You guys had like two to three months between when you and I last spoke and when you took off on this trip. So I'm just to start there, like in the rest of that planning or that time window, did you guys change any logistics gear, any other, you know, things that kind of came up in that window leading up to the hunt? Yeah, I think we got, we definitely did a little bit more planning. We didn't really know where we were going. 
um, when we talked last time. So we we did a little bit more planning. That all changed once we got there, and the the guy we were renting the truck from told us where to go. Um, got a little bit more serious about gear, but new boots, new tent. Uh, did a little bit of pack training. Should have done more, but anything else you can think of, Dad, that changed in between? Um, you know the the airlines. I think uh, Alaska Airlines changed one of our flights and the and the timing. Um, but that was about it. And, uh, I think leading up, it was just the, the, the gear, we pretty much identified what we needed to get. It was just a matter of getting it and then, um, studying the Island and, and trying to learn that the maps aren't great that <clears throat> I experienced online. Um, so it was a lot of Google earth and, um, and YouTube videos and, trying to piece together what the island's like, what the terrain's like, and and where the animals should be. And then like yeah. Dylan said, we we show up and we had our plan and then our uh, outfitter told us, well, this is where the animals were last seen. So we, we adjusted accordingly. Right. Brad, what was the travel process like? I, this is your first trip to Alaska, correct? No, I've I've been there uh, several, I don't know, three, four times. As a matter of fact, I was, just did a cruise uh, this last summer with my wife up there. On oh, the yeah. I actually remember that men- being mentioned. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, nowhere anywhere closely remote as, as ADAC. But, um, yeah, I, I'm familiar with Alaska and, um, and, and getting up there. So it was... Uh, what do we do? We fly into Seattle and then to Anchorage and then from Anchorage to ADAC. And um, on the way up, we overnighted in Anchorage. The um, The timing was pretty good on the way up. We, we get in, I think we got in at 1230 or one in the morning, but our flight out wasn't until what, Dylan, 1230, something like that. Yeah, I think it was 11, 11.30, but... Gave us enough time for some sleep. We we rented a hotel room nearby. Um, so that, that worked out really well. We, we got a fairly decent night's sleep, um, a good breakfast and a shower, important, which was important before we went and hit the backcountry. So we, we got to ADAC feeling pretty fresh. Yeah, that's good. It's, so, it's such a stark contrast with how far out there ADAC is when you pull up a map and essentially how remote it is. Yet at the same time, you're flying a big commercial Alaska (laughs) Airlines jet into it. You know, it's not like there's all these trips with like getting into remote places in Alaska where you're transferring to a charter flight, float plane, beaver, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, nope, just Alaska Airlines straight all the way over to ADAC. That definitely simplifies the just the logistics of it. Yeah, and that was by far our most comfortable leg of the flight was from Anchorage to ADAC and and back. It's, there's like on our way out there, there were eight people on a 737. Jeez. So they wanted us in our assigned seats for takeoff and landing just for weight distribution. But once you're in the air, like go pick your own own complete row. Yeah, great service. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that an hour, hour and a half flight? What was that flight time roughly? I think it's closer to three hours. Is it really? Yeah, it's it's way out there. It's like yeah. 
think it was 1100 miles from anchorage jeez wow so what was it like you uh touched down in adac you and we talked about this for listeners uh just so you know we talked about kind of how you guys put these logistics together in terms of vehicles and working with this outfitter but of course it's always an interesting perspective to show up hit the ground you're in this far remote place and just kind of hope like i think that everything we talked about like i hope that all works and happens and our stuff shows up what was it like just getting on the ground dylan and and soaking it in yeah so the first thing you see when you land they got a big old sign up at the airport says adac birthplace of the wind um so i was expecting it to be blowing pretty hard but we really lucked out and it was it was beautiful there was no wind and it was it was sunny um get into this tiny little airport and none of the i mean none of the like security baggage handling stuff that we're used to down here you just get in there um our outfitter was waiting for us in the in the airport and soon as we get in starts loading us up with information on on where to go where i think they had his recent clients had seen a, a herd of about 40 um somewhere around four to six miles from the end of the road so he pointed us that way handed us a beautiful topographic map um, way better than anything we found online that they just have for free in the airport there and set us up with our truck and walked us through all the weird little um intricacies of of these these trucks they have out there it's just they buy them in anchorage and anywhere else and have them shipped out so they're all like all the trucks are early 2000s late 90s i think we had a dodge durango um you had to turn on the blinker when you turned it off otherwise the the battery would die and all kinds of weird things <laughs> just to make sure that we could get back to the house afterwards but i think brad you mentioned it earlier that your planning you did and some of your research and call it e-scouting it sounds like it was maybe a bit different than what the outfitter kind of recommended of hey we've you know recently seen some animals over here did you guys was that did that throw you off at all were you guys headed in a direction you didn't anticipate was did that cause any uh, sort of reservation or like anxiety of hey we didn't really look to go this way or consider that or was it something you rolled right into it, we we rolled right into that um it, and that's because of the research we had done and we felt pretty familiar with the island uh some of the youtube videos i had watched um had shown this area or the the general area where we were starting into um is that betty lake dylan i think yeah i think that's what it was called yeah and uh there's which is kind of a go-to spot for people that that start out there's several areas that are sort of go-to starting areas and and this was one of them that we were familiar with it's just not one we were planning on going to um, initially but um, i think from our research we were relatively familiar and um, <laughs> just not with the the details of the of the trail and the the creek crossings and that type of thing but um that's that's where the fun starts that that's where you just kind of roll with with what mother nature throws at you yeah so dylan what's your impression of hunting pressure so you know this island a good number of animals but 
you know, well-known, like, hey, this is a go-to spot and there's videos and people talk about where they're at and, um, you know, it's a it's an accessible hunt on one end, meaning anybody can go do it and there's a good amount of information. Obviously, it's far from accessible in terms of not easy to get to. Um, so I'm just curious. I mean, you guys have, you know, just this one trip and somewhat limited experience, but do you feel like areas can be overhunted? Were you experiencing presence or pressure of other hunters? What was that like? So once we left the trail, we were out for four days and we never saw another person. Um, there was, there was one other truck in the parking lot when we started hiking, we never saw those guys. Um, most of the people who are out there renting houses in town and they're doing day trips. So they're limited to four ish miles from the road, four to five miles. Typically, Uh, because we were camping, we were able to go a little bit further back in. Um, but we were, I think we were there in kind of a lull of when people go up to hunt. People go up early when the, the weather's nice and uh, the bulls are rutting. And then people go up later when all the all the caribou move into town and they can just hunt them off the road system. So we we kind of had a break from from hunting pressure when we were up there in early November, which was super nice. Yeah, that is great. How far off the road were you guys planning to get or did you get in terms of having camp so we had we'd originally planned to go in up to 10 miles which was ambitious Uh, (laughs) walking through the everything's just saturated and hard to walk through not there's the holes everywhere that drop down into little creeks that are six feet deep um kind of that that tussock we'd go through some of that too the big big ball things um but yeah we we had planned on going up to 10 miles back in we ended up going like a we we're about six miles in which was as far as if, if we had been further back in we shouldn't have shot anything because it would have taken us way too long to get out that is a ways in that for people who haven't experienced that is a long ways in that terrain that country um i'm sure it's not the same the same but very similar uh, when I've been up there for a caribou hunt up in the brooks and dealing with tussocks and water crossings, et cetera, I ended up killing my caribou seven miles from camp. And that was definitely some of the longest seven miles I've ever experienced anywhere. Yeah. Um, even though it wasn't, you know, there wasn't a ton of elevation involved, but just covering ground in that country is it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was not easy. How were you, uh, were you feeling Brad once you got started hiking? Oh, great. Um, you know, I, that, that's where the training comes in. And uh, I'd been doing a lot of training with a heavy pack, walking the dogs. Um, still not as much as, as maybe I should have, but um, I felt like I came out of, out of it pretty well. Um, felt really good going in. Um, I think we were pretty well prepared with gear. And um, like Dylan mentioned, the the weather was really good. I mean, it was far beyond our expectations. And there's no way we would possibly ever be able to duplicate this trip weather-wise. I I would never expect to get that lucky again. It Mm -hmm. it never really rained on us while we were in the backcountry. It did snow a little bit the first night. 
but um, so it was it was cold, uh, but not brutally cold, and it didn't drop into the the teens or or down to zero. So um, felt really good. We we had a, a short hike in that first afternoon, and uh, set up camp, and everything was going exactly according to plan. That's great. I can't remember the timing, but at one point this fall, I was speaking with someone, I think a customer who just got back from ADAC and had a, what is a more typical kind of wild weather, terribly harsh conditions, high winds experience in ADAC and was just talking about it and how, how brutal it was. And I was thinking of you guys, I'm like, man, I can't remember when they're going, but I wonder if that overlapped at all. But yeah, it sounds like you guys were incredibly fortunate uh, in terms of conditions because ADAC has a reputation. For sure. Yeah, that was the day we were leaving. I think it was blowing 60, maybe 65. So we we just had this perfect week of we never saw winds over 30, 40 miles an hour. And when we were out hunting, it was like bluebird on our second day. Really, yeah. really nice. Cool. Yeah. So Dylan, just kind of pick up the story. You guys are, you know, end of the road, start hiking in, you set up camp. It sounds like things are going well, but uh, yeah, in terms of story-wise, what, how does this progress? Yeah, so we got up the next morning. Um, the sunrise is really late there. I think it was 9.30 before it got light. So we had started hiking pretty late every morning, um, but I hiked up to the top of this ridge, looking back into the the valley where um, the outfitter had said that they had seen caribou the week before and start glassing up there. And I remember Steve asked last time what, what kind of glass I was bringing. I was just going to bring my 10 by 42 binoculars. Um, we spotted caribou at two and a half miles, which I think is about as far as I would have been able to see them with the binos and it couldn't tell what quality they were exactly how many it was just it's the only thing that's big out there so we spotted them two and a half miles away on the complete opposite side of this um this draw we were back in and yeah that that whole day was just hiking back to them they were on this on a saddle um and fully expecting that they weren't going to be there. And it probably took us three to four hours, you think, Dad, to get back in there? Yeah, that sounds, sounds about right. Maybe maybe a little longer. I think it was 3.30, 4 o'clock when we actually got to them. Yeah, hiked up, hiked up to them, did a couple little river crossings to get there. And amazingly, they were in pretty much the exact same spot. So when we had spotted them, we could we could see them every now and again on our hike in, um, just depending on where we were on the in the hills. Um, and they they looked like they moved a little bit, but by the time we got up there, they were still hanging out in the same spot. And yeah, that's when we that's when we took our two caribou. So about about how many caribou total, or how many bulls kind of in this herd? I think when we spotted them, we saw about 15, something like that, 10 to 15. By the time we got up there, some of them had broken over the other side of the uh, the ridge. And I think there were more like eight out in the open. There were a couple bulls, nothing huge. 
Um, but big enough for us. I think probably two or three bowls. I think that's right, Dad. Yeah, that sounds about right. And it was funny. We had we had the one rifle. So uh he was gonna shoot first and we were both looking at this herd of caribou picking out which one we wanted and i was certain he was gonna shoot this one that was standing in the middle and that's that's the one that i wanted and he ended up shooting a different animal and so when he passed the rifle off to me that's that's the one i took brad what targeting the specific bull that you shot why did you choose that one if you have a few options to look over yeah, uh, to be honest, I did not see Dylan's bull, and oh, I think okay. it was superimposed behind a, a cow. Um, <clears throat> so one, one thing Dylan didn't mention why I took first shot. Uh, we had discussed before we left home how that was going to work out since we had one rifle, and um, <clears throat> I told Dylan, "Well, this is this is kind of your trip. You you've been the the driver on this so i want you to take first shot and he says no dad you need to take first shot because you're old and i don't know how many trips you're going to get in (laughs) (laughs) i didn't argue with him um because i've I've had the same arguments with my dad (laughs) so i thought well i'm not i'm not going to be the dad that argues back so um i decided to take that first shot and Honestly, that's that's the best animal that that I found when I was <clears throat> scoping the animals that were out there. Um, so that's that's the one I took. And then um, after I dropped mine, <laughs> Dylan's right there. Give me the gun. Give me the gun. <laughs> and and his was still there, kind of sauntering away. And um, I saw that one. I went, wow, that's that's a good one. It was better than mine. And uh, right, he, he gets a scope on it as it's moving away. As soon as he gets dialed in on it, it stops broadside. So it was wow. it really worked out perfect. And then he drops that one. And as soon as he dropped that animal, I said, "We're screwed," because <laughs> <laughs> I knew where we were. <laughs> yeah, and we didn't know that we were going to get two animals, and uh-huh. we were far back as we had been and <laughs> i knew our work was cut out for us at that point yeah yeah because you guys had packed in set up camp and then now have gone another two and a half three miles to get to these yeah 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 we were we were carrying camp with us so we uh we had everything that we could <laughs> leapfrog yeah. off from there but still wow it brad i I recall from, at least I think I recall from chatting with Dylan, you're newer to big game hunting, right? You've done a lot of waterfowl hunting and things like that, but big game hunting is newer to you. Is that correct? That That is correct. Um, okay. Been on a couple unsuccessful pig hunts um, <clears throat> years ago and on a, a one deer hunt with my brother-in-law um, unsuccessfully again. So that that's about the extent of my big game hunting. Yeah, I think in the earlier podcast, um, Dylan had mentioned that, you know, I'm just focused on waterfowl and he had invited me on a couple elk hunts and, and really it's, it wasn't due to lack of interest. I've, I've always found it um, 
pretty exciting to to want to go on one of these. It's just that my I have a, a relatively small freezer and it's generally full with waterfowl and fish. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought about the idea of bringing back an elk or a caribou, and I thought, where am I going to put it? And and how am I going to get through that much meat? So I um, I had to uh, make some room in the freezer. <laughs> well, what a cool first you know, first harvest, big game, Adak Island and caribou. That's super unique and special and to do it with your son. That's great. Really was. So you guys, man, are really the first full day of hunting then, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was our first full day. And as you said, a little bit, uh, uh-oh, <laughs> when you get <laughs> when you get two bulls on the ground. Um, so re- Alaska, you know, meat regulations are uh, very important in Alaska, uh, important anywhere, but I would say more restrictive and specific in Alaska in many places, but it does vary by the unit. Um, for ADAC, is this a situation where you have to pack out like ribs whole? Um, what are those details? So you can, you can bone everything out there, okay. um, but you do have to take everything. Sure. Yeah. So, but you can bone it out. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was dead set on not boning out my meat until the second load and then everything came off the bone. Mm-hmm. So with two bulls down, what, uh, yeah, I guess camps on your back, two bulls down before you get into what you actually did, where was there discussion on different options or strategy for what the next, you know, day, couple days is going to look like was the best way to, to get all this meat and yourselves back to the truck safely. Did you have multiple options you were kind of considering or just one plan and stuck with it? Um, I think we talked about the idea of just going straight out to the truck and doing a load that way, but we ended up um, deciding to leapfrog the, the meat forward and just camp our way out. Cause we didn't, we didn't have the house booked for another two nights. So we were going to be camping either way. So Got it. Might as well get it as close to the truck as we can. How did uh, breaking down the animals go? Um, Did you guys work together on one and then the other, I'm assuming? No, we each did our own. Oh, cool. Um, Yeah, so we each butchered out our own, and I think it took us a couple hours. That's the the thing with, with big game is I never get fast at it with waterfowl start of the season i'm pretty slow by the end of the season i'm really fast uh-huh. but because i'm only taking one big game animal a year it's we're never that that quick with it yeah um, but we were done i think right around dark we were finished um had everything in game bags and had both the hides off and the the antlers off yeah how was that for you then brad were your first big game animal and kind of working solo on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It went really well. Um, you know, we, we did our, our photo shoot when we dropped the animals and, um, then I said to Dylan, well, <laughs> what now you, you just want to jump in? And he said, yeah, I'm, I'll start on mine. You start on yours and, um, we'll just, just get it done. So it, it went really well. No, no real, no real issues there. It, um, I, I told Dylan it's it's going to get cold. Sun's starting to go down. He said, "Don't 
you won't worry about that. You'd be surprised how warm your hands stay working yeah. on, on a fresh animal. Yeah. Yeah. Till, till the end, then, then it did get cold. But um, timing worked out really well. We had everything boned out, probably had half hour of, of light left, enough time to set up camp. We decided, well, we're not going anywhere. And there's no predators, so there's there's no issue with camping right next to the carcasses. So we set up camp right there on, on top of that hill. Awesome. Yeah, that's another unique thing about ADAC compared to most of Alaska is not having to worry about bears or wolves or other predators like that. Just eagles. And they didn't really bother us. Yeah. How were the hides on those caribou? I was, you know, I hunted caribou way up North, but I was just like blown away at how soft and gorgeous the hides were uh, on the caribou hunt that I went on. You're bringing up a sore subject. Cause <laughs> I took, I took mine home and he left his out there. <laughs> yeah um yeah they're they're really really nice i've got mine hanging up in the garage right now drying went through the tanning process at home yeah see i i, I didn't bring mine and i'm kicking myself for not i mean I, I shot a small bowl and i knew it wasn't you know gonna do any sort of like shoulder mount but still i'm like man if i go again i would i would just t- yeah take the whole hide and tan it they're just so neat yep yeah. yeah, I haven't decided what I'm going to do with it yet, but it was it was too nice to leave behind. Brad, it sounds like you and I got to go back then. <laughs> That's exactly right. I, I have the exact same feeling. I did not want to leave that hide. It was my better judgment to leave it because I knew the work that I had to get it out. If we were two miles from the truck, I, I would have that hide today. But it was it was too far and. Um, we had a pretty good idea of the weather pattern we were in and we knew the clock was ticking. Um, that's another thing that, that really worked out ideally is that we, we made our last load Sunday morning um, to get the meat off the hill. Uh, that's when the weather started coming in. So we got that meat out just before the weather really turned on us. So I, did not have an opportunity to do a day hike back all the way, you know, six miles back in to, to grab that hide later in our trip. Um, I mean, I, I suppose I could have, but it was, it was blowing and raining mm-hmm. and, and cold. So um, I do want to go back and get a hide. That's, that's the one thing that my wife commented when I came back, she said, that's the only thing I, I wanted. <laughs> right. It wasn't really crazy about me going caribou hunting because, because she likes animals, but, um, she likes them alive. She doesn't like them under yeah. as, as much as I do. Uh, but she knew about the hides because on this cruise we were on, they had caribou hides all over in the lounge areas. And oh, okay really beautiful thick yeah soft so yeah um i'm jealous that dylan brought his out he he paid a price um you know his extra weight that he was carrying that um that i didn't yeah so that what you mentioned sunday was getting the last load off the hill that's when the weather hit did you guys was this friday or saturday that you guys killed the bulls i was thursday Thursday, yeah. Thursday, yeah. okay. So that's what I was getting at. How so? You guys kill the bulls, camp that night. You then have it sounds like a day, day and a half, two days then of just packing meat. 
two and a half days. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, you're right. That would be two and a half days. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we did well, Friday, all Saturday and half a Sunday. Yep. And so you leaped frogged that whole time. So, so Friday, you're you're packing all the meat, kind of leapfrogging, getting everything a little bit closer to the truck. And then you're you're camping Friday night and then repeat that process for Saturday. Yep. Yeah, I think the first day we got it about two and a half miles towards the truck. Yeah, we were shooting for halfway. Yeah. Got it. So when we say leapfrogs, how many like how many trips were you making? How many loads? How were you breaking that down to shuttle it? So we did, yeah, two trips per, I guess, per person, per animal. So, okay. yeah, that was. So essentially half, right? Like Dylan, you're carrying half your caribou. Yep. That's trip one. Uh, same for you, Brad. And then you're coming back and then grabbing the other half and getting it back to. Yeah, it was so a little, well, maybe a, a third on the first trip because we got the camp gear. Right, right. Yeah. And so we, we go on Friday morning, we, we hiked about halfway back to the vehicle with about a third of the meat, set up camp, left that meat in the camp, went back up with empty packs and grabbed the rest. So, which was actually, I think, heavier than the, the first load down. Mm-hmm. And that was back to camp. That was Friday. Okay. And Saturday, Saturday night, we had the house. So our goal was to be out by Saturday. And we, and we had, that was a harder hike because we had, um, Friday was all downhill with the weight. Um, and then Saturday we had to hike up a pass, a ridge, ridge line to get over down to the bay where the, where the vehicle was. So that was going to be harder work. So I know, um, you guys kind of mentioned training and it, it sounds like maybe some knee issues and kind of lessons learned from these heavier packs. But plus, I think this terrain is a unique factor. Were you guys feeling pretty beat up after day one that yes, day two, you had to kind of gain some elevation and go through this pass. But how were you feeling physically um, at this point headed into, you know, the second full day of packing? Yeah, well, he was doing better than I was. Um the old man showing you up, huh? <laughs> he was definitely showing me up. Well done, Brad. <laughs> I, we we weighed everything out afterwards, and my packs were a little bit heavier. Um, and I probably should have trained a little harder. But I was, yeah, I had some some IT band issues in my right knee, which was on the uphill, not a problem. On the flats, not really a problem. But downhill, just really, really painful. And I... I started kind of protecting that knee with my, with my other knee by putting more weight on my left leg and ended up doing some, some damage to that knee, trying to protect that knee. I was putting more, uh, weight on my trekking poles and kind of sprained my hand a little bit. So I was, I was all beat up by the end of, <laughs> it sounds like definitely it. by the end of the second day and yeah. the rest of the trip, I could, I could hardly walk my, my legs were so beat. How was it for you, Brad? Uh, you know, it was it was tiring, um, but uh, honestly, I, I was never really sore. Um, you know, I felt strain on the shoulders from the pack. Um, I, I've got strong legs. I yeah, I played football as a kid, and um, 
worked up a, a really good um, muscle mass in the legs. So, and, and I've, I've been athletic throughout my life doing, doing various things. I think Dylan had mentioned mountain biking and, and so on. So, um, and, and I, I put a lot of work into getting ready for this because I, I knew that potential was there. Mm-hmm. So it was very tiring, um, tough work. I can heavy packs out under in that type of terrain, but um, came out feeling pretty good. Um, I did experience some numbing in my left toes, mm. which um, was not a boot issue. I don't think I, I just think it was from the weight and yeah, pushing on a nerve or something. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're feeling better now. But um, I think that that was the only ill effect. When you say feeling better now, how long did that seem to last for you? Uh, the toes thing? The, yeah. The toes, that was weeks. <laughs> wow. it, it took a while. It was, you know, it wasn't completely numb. It was just um, kind of slight numbness, tingling in the end of the toes. Yeah. But gotcha. um, one thing to mention on, so our, our goal on Saturday because we had the house that that evening was to be completely out. So we had hiked the uh, our our first trip was uh, that morning. Saturday morning was to the top of the pass. We dropped um, our heaviest load of meat, went back down, grabbed the camp gear and the smaller bags of meat, hiked back up and then down and and around the bay to the vehicle. Uh, by the time we had done that, it was probably four o'clock. Uh, it gets dark around seven, seven thirty, and uh, our plan was to to go back up and get that last load. <laughs> I, I knew Dylan was in pretty bad shape. Um, I was really tired, and I uh, told Dylan, I said, "I don't think we should go back up and try to get that last bag." I think the weather's going to hold. Um, it'll be what it is tomorrow morning, but we'll be fresh. And um, I think it's the safer bet is to go back up Sunday morning. So it, it didn't take a lot of convincing, I think, for Dylan to agree with that plan. So uh, <laughs> we, we headed for the house and it, our, our meat was safe up there. It was tarped over. It was in a good spot. Um, and of course, the the weather is ideal. It's like 38 degrees. It's exactly the temperature you want to age your meat. Yeah. So um, that works out really well. So we ended up going back Sunday morning, and um, that that worked out fine too. Again, the the weather held off. It was cloudy, but not super windy. Um, <laughs> the temperature was was mild. It was probably 40 degrees, and um, just perfect for doing that last hike up the, up to the pass and grabbing the meat and getting back down. Hmm. Yeah. I think conditions wise, you guys are so fortunate, you know, not only with temperature and wind, but uh, taking two days to get the meat out and not having to deal with a bunch of moisture and those types of considerations. That's perfect. We had thought what it would have been like if it were raining the whole time, yeah. or even half the time and, and wet gear in and out of the tent and all that. Mm-hmm. really would have changed the dynamics i think yeah i mean that alone is is a great trip but i know that you guys had some more fun did some more hunting and and some fishing which i don't know anything 
about your experience doing it other than that you did it. So, uh, Dylan, you guys get back to the house. It sounds like kind of need a little bit of physical recovery. What was the rest of your time on the island like? Yeah, so we we wanted to give the meat a couple days to hang. We had a really nice spot in the garage to hang it up. Um, and we spent two or three days kind of just cruising around ptarmigan hunting. Um, there's rock ptarmigan everywhere. And we were right in that, that color phase change where they're going from their kind of brown summer color to winter color. So they're all, all white, um, but it hadn't snowed yet. So you can spot them with the binos from pretty far away. And we just cruise around in the truck and find a little group of ptarmigan and spend probably 20, 30 minutes hunting the ptarmigan and get a couple, move along, find another group. And there's really good road system because it used to be a military base. We didn't have to do a whole lot of hiking, which was good for me because I I wasn't going to do any more hiking. Um, I, I couldn't do any more. Yeah. And while we were cruising around, there's all kinds of, because the military is not there anymore and there's still a bunch of base buildings. So we go explore around old bunkers and one spot um, where they used to store nukes and there's an old World War II bunker next to it. And you can just go inside all these old high security buildings. And it was pretty cool. That is great. Um, did you do some fishing as well then, or just kind of the ptarmigan hunting? <laughs> we did. We did a little bit of fishing. Um, yeah. I think it was our last full day there. We got some intel from the, the outfitter on, on where to catch really big Dolly Varden. And we got up to this lake and it was probably blowing 30 or 35 across the lake. I had fly fishing gear, so I wasn't going to be casting into the wind with, with that. Um, so we, we bailed on that spot and went over to the other side of the island. We we're kind of in the lee, but it was cold. We were both kind of tired. Uh, probably spent what half an hour, dad? Yeah. 45 minutes yeah, fishing. About half an hour just pitching, pitching some lures and flies. Yeah. Yeah. But we found no an luck. inlet to a bay where we, we thought the dollies or, or some, some kind of fish would, would be coming in from the ocean through this inlet. And, uh, the water is beautiful. It's, it's nice and clear and there's some kelp growing around the edges. Um, it looked like a potential spot. There were signs of other people having been there, kind of a, a go-to fishing spot. If, if they happen to be there, we didn't, we didn't get any bites. But. Yeah. But there's what? the potential to catch really, really big Dolly Varden there. I think our outfitter said, he had caught one up at this lake that was 19 pounds. Whoa. Just absurd. Um, <laughs> I'd like to go back and do a little bit more fishing, try and get tie into one of those fish. Yeah. That sounds like it'd be a blast. Yeah. What This is maybe a completely ignorant question. You guys have two, call it two, three, four days in town or whatever, kind of after the hunt, right? You get the house rented and run the road system, hunting tarp again, like just logistics were you guys using the food you guys brought for camping did you hit up like some sort of grocery or market there are there any sort of dining options what did that look like practically for the few days you're around town we brought all of our own food there is there's one store that opens i think it's two to three hours a night like five or six days a week um 
and it's a classic small town, no prices on anything, but you know, it's probably five or $6 for a, a can of chili. Um, so we were, we were instructed by the outfitter to bring all of our own food and we had more than enough, ended up leaving a bunch of food. So we had our, our backpacking food that was the light stuff. And when, when we were in town, we had just normal, yeah, like normal, normal meals, eating a lot of ptarmigan, eating a lot of caribou as well. Um, we ended up leaving a lot, a lot of hunters leave a lot of food behind because they also bring too much. So there's the house is just fully stocked, all kinds of snacks and, and meals and whatnot. Gotcha. The, so getting everything prepped to come back, uh, flying Alaska airlines. So it's pretty easy to check meat and do all those things. And I, I may have asked you this in the, uh, the pre hunt episode, but in terms of logistics of how did you, did you take care of the meat? How much did you process the meat? Um, and then even things like having fish boxes or, um, what you need to package the meat to then check it on the flight. What was that process like? Just kind of getting everything prepped and prepared. So we brought two 120 quart coolers with us and then, a another smaller kind of soft cooler. Um, the house we rented had a fairly large chest freezer, um, vacuum packer. We had to bring our own vacuum bags, but we spent an entire day just getting everything butchered out and put into bags. All of our, all of our cuts were vacuum packed and frozen. And then we did big bags of stuff we were going to turn into burger later. Mm. So we had pretty much everything ready to go into our freezer at home by the time we left. Um, and most of it was completely frozen. So we, we packed everything up in those coolers, paid the, like we got them to 99 pounds each, which is as much as they'll allow, yeah. um, paid the overweight fee. And we ended up with two, two coolers fully, fully packed. Um, I think we had that, that soft cooler. No, we went. We did a fish no, box, right, Dad? Use the, yeah, the soft yeah, coolers and carry on. Right. Yeah, so the other people had brought up fish boxes and left those in the house that we had rented. Um, so we used one of those, filled that up with, God, what that have, 50 pounds in it? Yeah. Um, and then packaged up another, another big box with the antlers. I tried to strap them to my backpack, and they wouldn't let me do that. Um. We had a, <laughs> I, we showed up at the airport and they, he told us to go in around 10 AM and they'll go through all our stuff and make sure it's good to go. Flight didn't leave until two and they were, they were not happy about the antlers strapped on the outside of the pack. So had to figure out a, a box to put those in and then another box for the hide. Um, so in, in total, we had eight pieces of luggage, I think. 425 pounds of stuff is what we checked. It's a good chunk. More than, <laughs> more than I've ever checked on an airplane before. Yeah. It's super nice when you have that much stuff that you're, you're doing that initial check-in. It's such a small airport, right? Compared yeah. to anything in the lower 48 or even Alaska for that matter. Like if you were to try and check that much stuff in it, 
uh, Anchorage. I mean, you could do it, but you know, it's a bigger airport, a lot more going on. A lot of people are not going to be nearly as patient, you know? Um, so it's at least super nice that for that much stuff, you're at a very small ADAC airport. Yeah. 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 It was, that was really nice. So what, one note on the, um, coolers, uh, we saw, I, I don't know where these other guys were from, but, um, when we got there, they were getting their luggage and they had stacks of totes. So they had totes stacked in, inside each other, <clears throat> probably had, um, I don't know, four or five of these things. And I think the, the rationale is you put your meat in those, they don't weigh nearly as much as the coolers do. So if with the weight limit, you're packing more meat per container and, um, that's something to consider. Be, mm-hmm. It depends where you're you're coming from. Um, the coolers for us worked out really well. I don't think that we would have saved any money by um, doing doing totes like that. Uh, um, and I'm not certain that the meat would have made it as well as it did. It, it when we got home, everything was fro solid still in pretty good shape, except the burger. We, di- we didn't want to freeze that because we knew we were going to be grinding when we got home. But um, if, if you're closer, um, you save weight by um, going with the totes or a fish box. So that was kind of something we picked up from the local guys just going flying back to Anchorage. Yeah, That's one thing to consider. Yeah, I haven't used that strategy personally, but I know some guys who have, and I've certainly seen it. And uh, yeah, a lot of like a lot of guys will take um, the tote, you know, just like a tote from Home Depot or whatever. A lot of times, you'll see those black totes with the yellow lids. I think they may be HDX or something like that. But yeah, for the initial leg, like your flight up, you can take four or five of those, nest them basically in each other. And obviously you're going to have one that you can, uh, the top one, you can actually put some gear in, but use a zip tie to basically secure those four or five nested totes and lids together on the sides. And then now, yeah, you have these four or five empty to then come back with. And it's certainly a good strategy, as you said, um, depend on the legs of your flight. And then the key thing is depending on for a strategy like that, knowing that you can actually get the meat good and frozen before the flight um, is obviously going to be pretty beneficial for most instances there. But yeah, that's a great, great point to bring up. Any other um, takeaways, lessons learned, you know, just kind of super broad wrapping things up, like standout even moments from the trip or anything that we haven't covered yet. Yeah. Dylan, you have any comments about trekking poles? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, they were absolutely crucial. I ended up. It was on the way in. I wasn't even heavy yet. Bent one of mine. It was like got almost at a. It was probably thirty forty degree angle at the the bottom half, but it worked for the rest of the trip. I ended up leaving it up there, um, but I'll I'll probably be buying some carbon trekking poles to help keep that from happening in the future. Um. Yeah, I think in terms of lessons learned up there, not packing in a shotgun and a bunch of shotgun shells would have saved us a lot of weight. We had we each brought 15 shotgun shells in. We thought we were going to 
be doing a bunch of ptarmigan hunting when we were out caribou hunting. Um, could have left those in the truck. Did not need to pack those around. We had, we didn't do any ptarmigan hunting when we were out looking for caribou. Yeah, just do it from the road later. I like that idea. Yeah. There were a lot more near town than there were in the backcountry also. We did see some back there, but but not a lot. But closer to town is is where most of those birds were. Well, that's great, man. I it's such a such a unique place, cool animals to do it, you know, father and son together. I mean, yeah, such a special trip. I'm I'm so happy for you guys and really appreciate you guys sharing the story with us. Yeah, yeah thanks for having us. It was it was definitely a I want to say once in a lifetime trip, but we're planning on Brad going and I back. Are going back. Too, so. Oh yeah, yeah, I gotta get that pelt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Brad and I. I don't know what you're doing, but yeah. Brad and I are going back, Dylan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm training right now. I, I started yesterday. <laughs> I'm not worried about you, Brad. I'm worried about Dylan now. I've heard the story. <laughs> yeah, I need to start training. I need to move someplace with hills so I can actually train. <laughs> Makes a difference. And one other thing um, is water. And there is water everywhere. You don't have to pack a lot with you. Um, and some of the YouTube videos, guys mentioned that they don't bother filtering and they've always been fine. Our outfitter says he gets his the, the town water is, is fine, tastes fine, but he, he likes to, he's got a special source outside of town where he, he grabs unfiltered water. Um, we did filter ours. There are rats all over the island. There's, you see the little burrows, you don't see rats and we never were bothered by rats, but um, <laughs> there's rat droppings everywhere. And so we always filtered our, our water and um, that, that worked out fine for us. It's, they were just the small um, pressure filters. You your Yeah, you squeeze the water through. Mm -hmm. uh, not a lot of weight there. Um, not much trouble. And like I said, there's there's water even on top of the passes. There's there's water everywhere. So finding it's not an issue. Yeah, good to know. Once again, appreciate it, guys. Um, definitely stay in touch. Let us know any future hunts and stories. We'd love to hear about it. But uh, thank you so much for sharing this story today. Yeah, our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Well, there you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed that one. I think we just have maybe one more, quote unquote, after show from the before and after series. So we'll get that one published here soon. And uh, just continue in 2023 to have some great interviews, more listener stories, and a lot more. Once again, just let us know what you want to hear. Send that email to podcast at exomountgear.com or look for the link in the show description that says leave us a message and you can share that with us in audio format. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically. And we'll talk to you soon.